Yeah, 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 um, good morning, hello world, welcome to PC Podcast, VOG Podcast, Sunday, August 26th, I have to stop, <laughs> I have to control my breathing on the mic because I sound crazy, but nonetheless, I am here with you on this, as I said, Sunday, August 26th, and on this show, I'm just, you know, going to delve into, you know, a constant topic that I cover is, because it comes up in convo with other people, and it's just, with everything that's going on in the world, what happens to the people? It's, <laughs> there's just so many things going on, which is why I say think globally, not locally, but it just seems crazy and all just researching and studying a lot of what's going on. It just seems crazy because my question is what happens to the people after these wars, these natural disasters and things of that nature. People have no jobs, no homes, no way to support themselves, no way of life. And it just gets ignored on a humanitarian level. And we are all humans at the end of the day, regardless of color, creed, religion, whatever you want to call it. At the end of the day, we're all humans. But for some reason, it seems like we're not. And um, the level of human you are depends heavily on what you can produce or provide monetarily. And that's, uh, <laughs> it seems crazy to me to a certain extent, but the world, listen, the world is, um, the world is a very crazy place as I will delve into. And, um, I just want to start cause I, I didn't go in, in a YouTube hole, but, um, just watching, just finished watching a documentary on the war yeah, America's at war, just in case you didn't know people, but I just watched a documentary on the war that is going on in the country of Yemen, and the situation is just dire, and the war has been going on for about four years. It gets very, very little coverage in terms of headline news and um, major news network coverage. But it is a war going on. I think it's the Houthi rebels versus the government versus the coalition. And the coalition is America and Saudi Arabia, which I already went on. I think I went in on Saudi Arabia, but I'm not sure if I did. But at some point, I will. Um, that just might be American stronghold in the Middle East or... Uh, Zionist-controlled stronghold in the Middle East, if we want to be more direct about that. But this war in Yemen has killed, like, thousands and thousands of people, including women and children. There have been um, Red Cross studies. Red Cross missions have been there. Red Cross workers have been killed. Red Cross workers have been evacuated out of the country due to 
the war and the conflict that is going on there. So it just seems rather crazy to me how it gets no news coverage. But the media is manipulated and controlled by people own the media. We just have to realize that. And there is, you know, there is an agenda going on out there. So these are the things we just have to pay attention to and um, keep an eye on. But this one was just crazy because there are, I think, a million cases of cholera now, which is pretty much a disease you get when you don't have access to clean drinking water or clean water to bathe yourself in. And this is a huge, huge pandemic of cholera. So there are people who are not only being bombed and have no place to live and have no place to work. You also have people dying of disease, famine, and just medical neglect due to the war that is actually going on. So on a human level, I don't I don't understand how we don't care about this or it doesn't get the attention that it should. But we as humans are sometimes some depraved, sick individuals. And um yeah, it just seems just seems nuts, man, how all this is going on and it gets very little media attention. But in the same light, humans are, are some very, very depraved people. But as I said, yo, what happens to the people like who live there, like the witnesses in this documentary who, you know, lost their homes, lost their families? These people have to live on, but what do they subsist or live on with if their homes have been destroyed, their families have been destroyed. There's very little time to get out with the necessary paperwork you need in terms of proof of who you are and documentation of what you own and your history. If your house has been bombed, let's just keep it a buck. So it's it's just fascinating to me to watch this documentary and then just see, <laughs> and it it goes on. So it's the war and the the facade of the country has pretty much changed what people knew that it was and what it looked like. So it, it just it's just crazy, but it all coincides. Like all of this stuff happening on a global level, it, it's. Um, it's just crazy, man. And while at the same time you got this in Yemen going on, then you have uh, the tragedy that is the country of Palestine. I'm not calling Palestine a tragedy. I'm calling what happened to it a tragedy because um, <laughs> if you know anything about the Balfour, Balfour Declaration, B-A-L-F-O-U-R Declaration, you can Google it before... um. 1947, Palestine was a whole country. And ever since then, it's been, you know, strife and war-torn and the whole Middle East peace agreement to allow Israel to exist in the state of Palestine has been going on since then. 
the Rothschilds and <laughs> the Rothschilds and the power that be want certain places to exist, and you have to acknowledge that. But aside from all the war and the famine and just the militias and Hamas and just all the other factors that go into what is Palestine, this great country we live in of, yeah, America has decided to um, cut $200 million in aid in order for the Palestinians to abandon their claim to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Palestine, but they want them to abandon that claim to it and let Israel have it and let America move their embassy to Jerusalem. And they're also trying to force their hand in peace negotiations. And they blame it on lack of cooperation from the Palestinian government. And they're pointing out the martyr payments, which are payments that go to the families of individuals who are who are killed pretty much while attacking or attempting attacks on the Israel occupation. So they are saying that we can't give you aid because you pretty much, sorry about that, you pretty much are paying the families of the people who attack the place that we, <laughs> I hate to say it like this, that we created for the most part. Um, it just seems crazy, man. $200 million is a lot. And if you've been following the conflict at all, or if you are abreast of it, the Palestinians have been cut off from food aid, from supplies. They've been bombed so many times. There's been so many wars going on in the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian-Israel conflict has been going for some 70 years now with no end in sight, but they are pretty much financially trying to force the people of Palestine to accept um, to accept the existence of Israel by financially choking them off and cutting them off from the rest of the world. And if you've seen documentaries on Palestine, you, you see what the people go through just to get from one section to another, the heavy security, the checkpoints. I couldn't imagine living life like that, but this goes on every day and we kind of forget that it exists and that it does actually happen. And it's just so weird because it's just like what happens to the people. But the U.S. officials say this $200 million cut in aid pretty much leaves room for radicals and the government gets stronger, the Prime Minister Abbas and groups like Hamas and all the other quote-unquote terrorist organizations that operate in the Gaza Strip. Listen, I, I'm going to explain to you why I don't see these people as terrorist groups. And that's because if you were fighting for your country, 
like the army and all the military installations that this country has, are you considered a terrorist or are you considered fighting for your country? Especially when you're in somebody else's country with the front of fighting for your country, but meanwhile the people that are fighting for their country are terrorists somehow. And it just doesn't work because that, in the reverse scenario, it would be, for hypothetical purposes, let's just say, because this is the narrative that they're building, let's just say it was Russian troops on American soil and then they had pockets of armed resistance fighters of American people and the Russian media was like, the terrorists, we have to eradicate the American terrorists who are fighting for their land. Would those people be terrorists or would they be patriots fighting for their country? So just think about it from that aspect when you hear all this narrative of the terrorists and the homegrown terrorist cells and all this other stuff. Because if you really think about it, um, those terrorist people or the people who they deem terrorists are essentially killing the same people that the people who are bombing and shooting missiles into these countries are killing. So if they're both killing the same people, how is one terrorist and one have a justified position? But nonetheless, my question to you is, on top of all of that, what happens to the people? The people who are cut off from medical supplies, the people who are just basically left with nothing. And then they and then they have to live. Like, mind you, these are families. People just like you, humans just like you, who have to live amongst rubble and a changed landscape from what they know due to a war that they have nothing to do with. There's the documentaries where I watch most of the people in the documentaries blatantly state they're like, wait, there's no missiles here, there's no rebels, there's nothing, so why did they kill my family? It just it's, it just questions my level of humanity and I'm, it just questions like, why do I live here? But my concern is what happens to the people. And these people have to do something when it's all over in terms of getting back to their normal lives. But where do you go to work if the factory you worked in is bombed? How do you get food if the supermarket you shop in was shot up and bombed? These are the things people don't think about and... This is what irks me about humanity in itself. And for those of you who say, like, yeah, this is this is stuff happening in places very, very far away from me. No, 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 no. No, it happens in um this country as well. Because as another article pointed out, as of August thirty first, if the federal government here does nothing the victims, the Puerto Rican victims of Hurricane Maria, some, like, numbering around 2,400. I think it's 2,436, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. 
they are displaced and they are staying in basically U.S. mainland hotels. Because if you don't know, Puerto Rico is a part of America. It's probably colonized just like everything else in America. But in that same light, those 2,400 plus Puerto Rican families or people living here in the mainland on hotels will pretty much have their funding cut off if the government does nothing about it. And mind you, these people have been struggling to save up money because they have to still live their lives and get access to medical care and have food and live and get jobs and they have families and some of them don't know anybody here in the country. So this is why I ask the people, like, what what happens to them? Like, I, if their aid gets cut off, what happens to them? Like, what happened to the people who, after numerous years, after Hurricane Sandy here in New York happened, and their houses were destroyed, and their federal aid got cut off, and they couldn't live in the trailers or hotels anymore. The stories of what happens to these people never sees the light of day. And we worry about FEMA camps and all these other people like kidnapping and child sex trafficking and everything else. Could these people be the victims of that due to these, the displacement and the lack of funding that they receive to get back on their feet and get back on their feet and live life like normal humans? Or does that factor, is that a non-factor to everybody who's just living their lives as if these things never take place? And people, you know, as I said, people are like, oh, no, it's not me. It's not my family. But what if it was? What if you, there are people who have relatives who live in Puerto Rico who still are going through it? And I think they just got their power fully restored, but I don't even know if that's the truth, being they couldn't even tell you how many, the number of dead there, if I'm going to keep it completely honest. That's how honest the media is. But as of August 31st, these people could be cut off from federal aid. And that's, I hope it gets extended. But what happens to these people after? Like, that's what I wish I could track just to um, kind of, just to kind of, I guess, uh, keep you up to date and I guess make sure these people aren't going into, like, some sort of FEMA camp or who knows, man. We live in some crazy times, man. And not only... The people of PR, like the people of Hawaii, man, like salute, salute to you guys because guys, like Hawaii's just going through it, man. But you know, the uh, okay, the people of Hawaii, right? They're still lava flowing from the volcano explosion, and then um, I told you a hurricane was headed for them a couple of weeks ago. I think that one missed, and then this Hurricane Lane came through but um it missed it didn't they didn't get direct impact from it but they there are still victims of hurricane lane which is crazy 
and it um did touch down on the island as a Category 5 storm that had winds of up to 160 miles per hour and the areas of Hilo or Hilo received more than 31 inches of rain between Wednesday and Friday with other areas of the island getting more than 45 inches of rain which is damn near 4 feet of rain and other areas getting 2 or 3 feet of rain and naturally all this rain caused flooding and landslides and it, it, it just it's it's crazy like flooding and landslides after a volcano eruption on certain parts of the island the theme is you know what happens to the people cuz <laughs> Listen, I'm not laughing at anybody's plight, but I'm just curious, man, because if you if you have no home to go back to after a flood uh, or a volcano eruption, then you have nowhere to go back to. Like, And then a hurricane hits, and you have landslides, and it wipes out your home, wipes out your job, wipes out your village, wipes out your way of life. Everything you have known pretty much is wiped out and you're expected to somehow get back to regular life after a certain time because mind you while all this is going on the bills do not stop con ed and whoever your power supplier is or your cell phone carrier is or your car insurance is still wants their money even if your joint has been wiped out it I don't know if there is home insurance that covers all of these natural disasters that are going on, especially um, the Hawaii stuff, as I just pointed out, which landslides, flooding, flooding, and a volcano eruption all within the summer months. Like, what happens to all these people? Like... That is my only concern. Like, I really need a way to track that because it, it's 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 utterly baffling to me. Like, just what happens to them? Like, I need a traveling news show where I could, like, interview people and go to war-torn areas and kind of just interview people and meet with them and kind of gather what their way of life is like and try to see how they exist after these things happen and and with Hawaii, it's just like, yo, when did all of this stuff start happening where everything is just so crazy weather-wise? It is not natural for these things to be happening. Like, it's, it's understandably not. I mean, volcano eruptions are natural, but all of these things hitting certain places back to back to back back the indonesian earthquakes no let's not skip over um the venezuelan crisis in venezuela just had a magnitude seven point something earthquake the other day and that goes along with the humanitarian crisis and 
just the inflation and the collapse that is going on over there on top of an earthquake. What happens to the people, man? Like, imagine, like, if this was your family, like, you would want somebody to notice and you would want some sort of spotlight or attention to be put on your plight. But it gets... um. It gets nowhere, and it's just it's it seems just absolutely like I said, absolutely baffling to me, man. Like I just wish I could track what happened to the people after you've been wiped out. Even in Florida, with the red tide and the, the toxic algae bloom, with the dead animals just stretching for miles and miles, like, that's getting very little coverage. There's more coverage on YouTube than on mainstream media. And it it seems crazy to me because, again, this is destroying people's livelihoods and way of living. But in the same light, it gets no attention for the most part. And it, it just seems somewhat, it seems crazy to me. But as I always say, there is an agenda to all of these things. You just won't see it. And you have to kind of put it together for yourself and it will make you crazy kind of just patching it together and you'll seem just nuts to people. And but you can't worry about that in the long run as long as you are somewhat ahead of the curve. You'll never be ahead of the agenda because they got scientists and all people with PhDs and all kind of stuff working on how to fuck you over. Sorry for the language, but in the same light, you're never going to get ahead of that. And um, speaking of what happens to the people, like in these crises and uh, in this crisis, crises, and just in general of what happens to the people, is like sometimes you forget that there are nations who are already impoverished and um, the programs that they are trying to implement and the computer databases that they are trying to build for I, not to sound conspiracy theorist, but for the one world government that may or may not be coming I'm going to come from the viewpoint that I don't know but if this one world government thing does pan out you can't say I'm not like I like I didn't mention it and I didn't, you know, like I didn't say anything about it because I, you know, I did. This is, you know, this is really what's happening. And um, just reading this article, I'm like, yo, do this. Oh, oh. <laughs> if you've never read 1984, I highly suggest you do. It's a great read and it um will freak you out when you realize how true it's become. And just to bring it to real life, and this is what I think. Some of these people do get filtered into a system like the one I am about to bring your attention to. And if you have never heard of it, I would suggest you Google it and do your research on it because if you do not know and you do not pay attention, you will be completely 
you'll be puzzled by when it happens in your nation, your neighborhood, your city, your country, on a global level. As I always say, think globally, not locally. But if you haven't, um, there's a program out there called the ADHAR. A-A-D-H-A-A-R program. If you haven't heard of it. And in Hindi, which is a language in India, it means proof or basis. And I will spell it for you again so you have all the time in the world to Google it. It is A-A-D-H-A-A-R program. And it was, it's a program in India which <laughs> I'm just going to tell you straight up, people. I have mentioned biometrics before and always tell you biometrics is coming. You will not need your passport or any form of ID to travel in a couple of years. But it is a biometrics database in India that has now collected the fingerprints, iris scans, and photos of nearly 1.3 billion that's 1.3 billion, not million, billion with a B, people. And has companies like Apple, Google, and Microsoft allegedly involved or in some way, shape, or form trying to integrate this ADHAR program into their platforms, networks, computer systems, etc. Now, mind you, if you haven't, I'm telling you, just Google this and um, so you can understand where the world is going. And as I said, it's um, <laughs> fingerprints, iris scans, and photos. So we have already given them a photo database. We've already... They can already know what our irises look like from that photo database. So just follow me. Stay with me on this. Um, this program that you you and I probably never heard of, and I wasn't aware of it until a couple of days ago. It's um, been going on for nine years, so that's about from 2009 until the current time. And it was introduced in India as a simple and revolutionary way to access welfare programs for the poor. But now that program has ballooned into a gateway for all services from food stamps to obtaining and renewing a passport and even having a cell phone. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that, that's, you heard me right. The program, which was introduced as a way for people to access their welfare benefits, is now currently the way to pretty much access the basic needs and necessities to live. And it's been going on for nine years. So... <laughs> It's already well established, and as I said, 1.3 billion people. And a system like this was actually proposed 
by the CEO of Oracle after the September 11th attacks to create a national identification system with a computer database, computer database of all U.S. citizens. So this narrative has been going on for a while now, and it includes things such as microchips, and everybody else is very opposed to this, and it's like, oh, is this the mark of the beast? Is this the end of humanity as we know it? Is this some form of, you know, restrictions going on that can restrict our lives in ways we don't know? I don't know where this is going, but th this is the program, the Adhar program. The program in India was conceptualized by an Indian billionaire of an IT consulting firm who lobbied, who lobbied the government and ended up working for the government and running this Adhar program. And the Prime Minister of India has now made having it, get this people, it's a... 12-digit ID, which is an ad hair ID, and it is necessary for any kind of business, any kind. So it has gone from a way to access welfare to accessing any kind of services or doing any kind of business. And in the database, as I said, there are over a billion people. And the system ranges from billionaires to people who are homeless. So this is everybody. India is a big place and the population is massive. And they have over a billion people in this database. And it is you have to have this 12-digit ID to do business or access your welfare programs and things of that nature. So if you're wondering where all this technology is going... This is it, people, pretty much. I'm just informing you just so you know. I think India was a test run. And as I said, the 12-digit ID, you needed to conduct business. Your passport, if you're going to get it issued or renewed, has to be done through this 12-digit ID. If you want a bank account, you need that 12-digit ID. If you want to invest in mutual funds, you need that 12-digit ad hair ID. So to exist in India, you pretty much need that ad hair ID, that 12-digit ID, which is your number. It is as if <laughs> it is your prison number. Like I'm, I'm just rationalizing this as I see it. And I'm analyzing it in a way hopefully you could understand, but it, it just seems weird. And reading this article, it was um, it was just kind of reminiscent of the 1984 thing. But Microsoft uses ad hoc, the ad hoc program in a new version of Skype to verify its users. And Bill Gates has endorsed the program, and his Bill Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is funding a World Bank program to expand the ADHAR program or this 12-digit ID program to other countries around the world. 
So you have to understand that <laughs> all of these computer systems are integrated and computers can talk to each other without our knowledge and Listen, I'm just giving you a glimpse into what's coming. That's all I'm doing, man. Um, just so you know, if you don't think it's coming or you don't believe me or you think I'm bugging, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. In this article, they all declined to comment. But in some sneak ways, all these programs in India, Google, Amazon, and Facebook have all asked in people in India if they use their platforms to use their 12-digit Adhar ID as logins. So it's now long, no longer your username and password. It is your 12-digit Adhar ID, which uniquely identifies you. So you have a 12-digit prison number, which is now your new identification for everything from having a bank account to a cell phone, to a passport. And people in India say there are glitches in the system. There have been data leaks of people's names, phone numbers, bank account numbers, their prescription orders for generic Viagra and HIV purchases, and family information and history has been found leaked on various websites as well due to the Adhar ID and hacking of the Adhar ID system. So, your 12-digit prison number can be hacked and all your information can be found and your whole family history is something that can be easily brought up with your 12-digit Adhar ID I don't know what movie it was, but listen, if you are old enough, you remember people having the barcode, the movie with the barcodes with the people on the back of their neck. I'm not bugging out and saying this is what this is, but they do that, the predictive programming in movies and television for a reason. So when it does happen or come to the surface in instances such as this, we won't be completely bugged out by it because we've seen something like it before. But this is all, all of these things are being challenged in the Supreme Court of India. But as I stated, there are 1.3 billion people already in the system. So it is up and it is functional already. And they're going to try to stop the expansion of it and the connection of it with just basically your Adhar ID being connected to every computer system and it uniquely identifies you, which goes into a somewhat global computer base. But let me just state this as I um, leave you with this information. On the AADHAAR program, Adhar program, there have been authentication errors that have caused deaths in the poor sections of India after people 
failing to log in with their 12-digit ID were denied food rations and medicine. So if you don't operate with the program of your 12-digit ID, you in turn can be cut off from your food rations and your medicine. And there is also a secret war room in India. There's probably more than one, but... um. There is a war room in India that monitors everyone's 12-digit ID and monitors news networks for mentions of the prime minister and any negative comments made about the government with your 12-digit ID. So you can essentially be put on a terror list or something of that nature with your 12-digit Adhar ID. So... When I ask what happens to the people, I'm not saying they are all being filtered into a system such as this, but is FEMA just the start of somewhat of a ADHAR program here, or does the ADHAR program already somewhat exist here in America and we are just not aware of it yet because we haven't been given our 12-digit IDs, even though we do have social security numbers and things of that nature. So it's just, as I said, I wish I had the means to follow up on what happens to the people after they are wiped out and have to start over. But at the same time, I wanted to make you guys aware of this Adhar program, which does exist and could be what some of these people are being filtered into. Uh, Now, I don't claim to know it as a fact. I am just putting it out there as a possible... It's an option of something that could be happening to these people. But if there are already systems built that are running off of things that are very similar to this program and China already has a better and more upgraded version which gives you a social credit score and it probably has the capacity or the ability of the thing of the Adhar program. These things are already operational and functional and these computer systems and databases already exist to an extent that is beyond our knowledge. So if if we're worried about this mark of the beast and us being tracked and things of that nature, it's already too late, people, and I just wanted to make you aware that we should try and track and follow what happens to these people after they've been displaced by all this freakish weather that might be conducted by 5G signals and just be aware that things such as the ADHAR program exist because it will be introduced and it is coming to a country and town near you whether you believe it or not people and um yeah just uh do me a favor and google A-A-D-H-A-A-R program so you can have a better understanding of what the world is coming to. That was pretty coherent. 
even for me, I must say, sheesh, I think I'm, I think I'm getting a little bit better. But either way, I do appreciate you listening. Shout out to the people who gave me feedback. Shout out to Mr. Simon, man. I appreciate you immensely. More than you will ever know. Um, but yeah, that's this episode. Let's just add hard program. It's coming to us hood near you very soon, people. This has been PC Podcast, Sunday, August 26th. Appreciate you listening at Derek H. Flint on Instagram, at DHF818 on Twitter, and you don't need my Facebook. Uh, We out here, people. Appreciate you listening. Donate at dflint51 at gmail.com on PayPal. Appreciate you. Have a great one.